So good morning. Um, yeah, if you don't know me, my name is Dale, and I'm part of the team that helps lead at New Life Community Church. And one of the things I like to say on a Sunday is, welcome to Sunday. Yes. We are continuing our preaching series in the book of Mark this morning, and we're going to take a look at chapter 4, verses 1 to 20. So if you have your Bibles, let's turn right there. Mark chapter 4, verses 1 to 20. Excuse me. So I'm just going to dive straight in and start reading the word. Once again, Jesus began teaching by the lakeshore. A very large crowd soon gathered around him, so he got into a boat. Then he sat in the boat while all the people remained on the shore. He taught them by telling many stories in the form of parables, such as this one. Listen, a farmer went out to plant some seed. As he scattered it across his field, some of the seed fell on a footpath, and the birds came and ate it. Other seed fell on shallow soil with underlying rock. The seed sprouted quickly because the soil was shallow, but the plant soon wilted under the hot sun. And since it didn't have deep roots, it died. Other seed fell among thorns that grew up and choked out the tender plants, so they produced no grain. Still, other seed fell on fertile soil, and they sprouted, grew, and produced a crop that was 30, 60, and even 100 times as much as had been planted. And then he said, anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. Later, when Jesus was alone with the 12 disciples and with the others who were gathered round, they asked him what the parables meant. He replied, You're permitted to understand the secret of the kingdom of God, but I use parables for everything I say to outsiders so the scriptures might be fulfilled. When they see what I do, they will learn nothing. When they hear what I say, they will not understand. Otherwise, they will turn to me and be forgiven. And then Jesus said to them, If you can't understand the meaning of this parable, how will you understand all the other parables? The farmer plants seed by taking God's word to others. The seed that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message only to have Satan come at once and take it away. The seed on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they don't last long. They fall away as soon as they have problems or are persecuted for believing God's word. The seed that fell among the thorns represents others who hear God's word. But all too quickly, the message is crowded out by the worries of this life, the lure of wealth, and the desire for other things. So no fruit is produced. And the seed that fell on good good soil represents those who hear and accept God's word and produce the harvest of 30, 60, or even 100 times as much as has been planted. Heavenly Father, I do want to pray, Lord, as we talk about sowing seed of your word. I pray, Lord, that as I speak this morning, seed would be sown into the hearts of my brothers and sisters. God, I pray it would find purchase and good soil there and grow and lead to 30, 60, and 100 times more fruitfulness. 
Lord, I pray that we would receive your word and it would do us much good this morning. Amen. So I've called my message this morning, Jesus on Evangelism. Because this is Jesus himself unpacking and teaching us about what's really going on when we share the gospel with others. Now the way Jesus does this is in a parable. And as you may know, a parable is a, a type of everyday story that helps to illustrate a deeper spiritual reality. The idea is that by using everyday characters and circumstances that the crowd can relate to, Jesus is able to help his hearers connect with his teaching. Jesus uses something that's known, the parable or the elements of the parable, to shed light on something that is unknown, the spiritual realities at work in evangelism. So in this case, we have the farmer or the sower. We have seed and we have different types of ground. We've got birds, the sun and thorns, and we have different types of growth from those seeds. Now, these are all things that Jesus' original audience would have understood and to some extent experienced. And for the most part, that's true of us, okay? We, we understand about seeds, we understand about planting, we understand about fruitfulness. But I do think the method of farming that we're talking about is quite different today. And that's a point that we'll come back to later. This is actually the first real parable we've encountered in the Gospel of Mark. It's one of the first moments we get to see exactly how and what Jesus is teaching those crowds. And I think it's very interesting that Mark uses this moment to emphasize the centrality of evangelism and the gospel and Jesus' own mission. It's as if he's saying, look, guys, this is super important to Jesus, so it should be super important to us. So let's unpack some of the meaning of the parable. Now, for the eagle-eyed and the bat-eared among you, you'll notice that Jesus has done all the heavy lifting in terms of interpreting this parable for us. And since I'm reasonably sure that I won't be able to do a better job than him, what I'm going to do is overlay his interpretation on the parable and use it as a lens to help us see some of the meaning. With that in mind, the first thing I want to think about is the farmer or the sower. In his word, Jesus says this is the person who takes God's word to others. In that moment... And in that context, that person was Jesus. In fact, he spent the final three years of his life taking God's word to others. That's what he's doing in and through his teaching and his parables. But at the very end of Mark's gospel, the final chapter, the final instruction that Jesus gives to his disciples and by extension to us is go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. Essentially, he says, now you are the sowers. Go and take the word of God to everyone. As sons and daughters in God's family, we get to carry on the family business. This is just how God loves to work. He takes everyday people like me and like you, and he breathes his life-giving word to us, And then he sends us out to carry that word into every area of our lives. Into our homes, 
our families, our friends, workplaces, and even those random encounters that we might have with people. Every single one of us is called to sow God's word into the lives of the people around us. Now, I just want to pause here and say, I don't think that means preaching a seven-point sermon to every person. I can see the relief on all of your faces. But it does mean actively seeking out those opportunities to scatter God's word. Seeking out opportunities to speak Jesus in our conversations over coffee, our discussions at dinner, or, as the awesome Alice Aston might say, to name-drop Jesus in our daily dialogue. Amen? So we know our job is to be like Jesus and sow God's word into people's lives. But I want to circle back to that first point about the difference between the way a farmer sows now and the way he did in Jesus' parable. The reason I want to do that is it's it's an important distinction and it has an application for us. Today, farmers use some reasonably complicated machinery to sow seeds with components that first turf up or dig up or plow the soil and then drill or drop seeds in before covering it over again with a safe blanket of earth. Growing a crop from those seeds is reasonably consistent. If you sow a crop in a field, then you can, weather and pest dependent, expect to harvest that crop in due course. Sowing today is reasonably specific. It's directed, it's procedural and targeted. In fact, to some degree, it's quite process-driven. Now, this is not the type of sowing that we encounter in Jesus' parable. Jesus is talking about a type of sowing that was fairly common to his hearers. Now, I want you to imagine the sower carrying his basket full of seeds in one hand, and as he walks up and down the field, he's flinging seed left and right, just flinging it out there, strewing it across that field. The sower's emphasis is not so much on the ground that he's covering, but on getting a good coverage of that ground. Do you see what I mean? He's not worried about where that seed is landing. He's just chucking it out there, as long as it gets across the whole field. It's a reasonably simple method. Whatever seed finds good soil takes root and grows, producing a crop. And whatever doesn't, doesn't. There's something in that method that, to some degree, reflects the lavish, extravagant heart of God. In his ministry, Jesus takes handfuls of God's word and generously scatters it over the lives of the people he meets. And the same should be true with us. We need to avoid thinking in terms of mechanistic processes and expected results. Just like the sower in the parable, our emphasis should be not so much on the type of soil we're sowing into, that is, the state of someone's heart towards God, but on getting a good coverage over the whole field that God has given us. Unlike the sower, we often don't know what type of ground we're sowing into anyway, but that's not really the point. Even though he does know, 
The sower is simply extravagant with his sowing anyway. He throws seeds over the path, over the rocky ground, over the thorny ground, and over the good soil, just the same. One of the things that struck me as I was preparing this message, I thanked God that he has made evangelism really simple. It's our job to sow the word of God into people's lives and trust him for the state of that soil. Whatever seed finds good soil takes root and grows and produces a crop of salvation, and whatever doesn't, doesn't. I don't need to worry about the outcome. I need to worry about my activity. Having said all that, Jesus clearly doesn't want us to be uninformed about what's happening behind the scenes. He doesn't want us to become wearied or frustrated at the mystery of it all. Because he spends the majority of his parable highlighting the different reactions excuse me, <clears throat> to God's word that his and our hearers manifest. And he identifies four possible outcomes for people who hear the word of God. And the thing he's looking for in each of them is the production of grain or the the fruitfulness of God's word in that person's life. The interesting thing is there is also three agencies at work in this parable. We are represented by the sower and our hearers are represented by the different types of soil. But there is a third agency represented by the birds, the withering sun, and the thorns. And Jesus says these represent the devil himself, actively working against God's word, stealing it away, stifling it through persecution, and choking it through temptation to sin. What this means is there's a connection between the condition of a person's heart towards God and Satan's ability to rob them of God's very word. The hardness of the first person's heart leads to birds stealing that seed because there's literally nowhere for the seed to go. Imagine a a path that's been trampled down and compacted. The seed's just going to lie there on the surface, doing nothing. The shallowness of the second person's heart leads the seed to wither to nothing when persecution, trial, and challenge comes. There's nowhere for the roots to go. And the entanglement with the world of the third person's heart leads to that seed being choked, held down, and unable to grow. Whereas the receptiveness to God of the fourth person's heart leads to that seed being received, leaving no opportunity for the birds to steal it. And the depth of that response means God's word takes root deep in their heart, So that when persecution and trial and challenge does come, they're able to endure and persevere in their faith. Whilst their distinction from those thorny, sinful desires of the world around them leaves them free to burst into fruitfulness. 30, 60, and 100 fold. That's 100 times greater than the single seed that gave birth to their faith. That's a crazy yield. Good soil leads to fruitfulness. God's soil leads to abundance. What this should do, 
as sowers of God's word, is drive us to him in prayer for at least two reasons. One, we cannot do anything about the type of soil that is in another person's heart. But he can. Ezekiel 36, 26, God says, I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. Only God is able to transform the state of a person's heart. But we compassionately petition God in prayer before, during, and after sowing his word. We can ask that he would transform a person's heart so that the seed we've sown will be fruitful for their good and for his glory. The second reason this parable should drive us to God in prayer is the notion that it only takes one seed to land on God's soil to not only change the eternal trajectory of that person, but to have an impact 30, 60, and 100 times greater. One seed on God's soil. Brothers and sisters, I know that your hearts long to see a harvest of salvation just as mine does. But just imagine the kind of fruitfulness we could see if we took this lavish approach to sowing God's word. If we just took that idea that in every encounter, in every situation, no matter who we're talking to, we just sow some of God's word in. How quickly we could find God's good soil. I was particularly challenged with that. Sometimes it's clear to me when I need to evangelize. Someone asks me a question normally. Oh, you're a Christian, are you? Ah, yes, actually, let me tell you about that. But there are moments in each of our days when we can have an opportunity to share something of God's word. This, this came to life for me the other day when I was over lunch with somebody. And we were talking about business stuff. We were talking about communication, lines of communication. And this person's not a Christian. And I sat across the table from this person and I said, here's the thing. I said, I'm really intentional about emails. I hate emails because you can't see anybody's face. You don't know what their tone is. I said, I'm so intentional about emails. I put little high, smiley faces, and I, and I try to use you know, language that's jovial, and I try to express myself in the language that I write. And he said, why do you do that? I said, because I want to honor those people that I'm emailing. I want to prefer them. And I said, God's word says that I should treat my neighbor like I would treat myself. And it goes further, and it says that I should want better for them even than I have. And I said, that's why I do that in my emails. Because I want to be like Jesus. And I, as I was preparing this message, I thought, that's, that's the moment where I've, I have sowed God's word into that person's life. Not because I'm amazing, but because God's word is in me. And it's changing me. And some of the things that I do as a result are going to impact or are going to be impacted by that. If we were able to grasp and run with this, I know if I was able to grasp and run with this, we could see revival in our town, in our day. Let's be praying for those God-given opportunities to speak his word into people's lives, no matter who they are or what state we might think their hearts are in. Let's ask our lavishly generous Heavenly Father for that 30, 60, 100-fold multiplication. Okay, I want to finish by looking at what Jesus means 
when he talks about the word of God in this context. Firstly, broadly speaking, Jesus is referring to the whole of the Old Testament. After his resurrection, as he was walking with a couple of his disciples on the road to Emmaus, Jesus took them right through the writings of Moses and all the prophets, and he explained all the things that related to himself in them. In effect, he showed them how the whole Old Testament pointed to him. Secondly, since the whole New Testament is also about Jesus, we can include this into our understanding of the Word of God as well. So whether we share something from the Old Testament or the New Testament with someone, as long as we show how it points to Jesus, we're sowing God's Word into people's lives. If you come alongside somebody, but all you do is point out how they've messed up the Ten Commandments, that's not helpful. That's not sowing God's Word into their lives. That's legalism. There's life in Jesus. And so when we show how he's impacted our lives, when we make that application that, hey, see Jesus through this thing, that is when we are sowing God's word into people's lives. But I do want to be a little bit more specific because I want to help you feel a little more confident and a little more equipped to share God's word with people this morning. So let's go right back to the start of Mark's gospel and take a look at Mark 1, 14 to 17. Later on, after John was arrested, Jesus went into Galilee, where he preached God's good news. The time promised by God has come at last, he announced. The kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins and believe the good news. One day, as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. Jesus called out to them, Come, follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and followed him. This passage is Jesus doing evangelism. This preach is called Jesus on evangelism, after all. Now, I know I said we don't need to worry about seven-point sermons or get too formulaic in our evangelism, but I do think that having a bit of structure in our heads is helpful as we consider how we're going to sow God's word into people's lives. And I love Jesus' example here because he keeps things super simple, and I'm a super simple guy. He makes one statement, and he calls for three responses. Now, if you don't know Jesus today, I'm going to unpack these for you. One statement and three responses. Okay, here's his statement. God's kingdom is here. God's kingdom is here. In Jesus, the kingdom of God is here. It's arrived here And now, it's not some far-off future thing that you can put off till the last minute. It's not yesterday's news, so you can't just forget it. It's happening right now. People's eternal futures are being decided today. Your eternal future could be decided today. 
And Jesus calls for three responses. Repent of sin, he says. That means admit you've done wrong to God and ask for his forgiveness. Believe the gospel, he said. Because Jesus loves you, he lived the perfect life you couldn't. And he died the death you should have in your place for your sin. But on the third day, God rose him to eternal life. And he now offers that to everyone who believes in him, including you. And Jesus' final call is to follow him. Set aside everything that wants to entice, entangle, and hold you down. And follow Jesus with your whole heart. I can tell you from experience, it is the best decision you will ever make. That is the gospel. One statement and three responses. That's a reasonably simple structure, isn't it? The kingdom of God is here, so repent of sin, believe the gospel, and follow Jesus. Remember, it's not a formula, it's just a framework to help us share God's word with people. If we have that bubbling away in the back of our minds, every day, every encounter, it helps us to share things that are good for people's eternal salvation. If I could have the worship team up. So I, as I was praying this message, I was saying, God, how do, you, how do you want me to lead a response to this? So I felt there were potentially three groups of people who might want to respond this morning. Maybe four. The first group of people is people who are stirred to pray that God would change the soil of someone's heart. Perhaps you've shared God's word many times with someone, but the soil of their heart just isn't right to receive it. What I want to do is I want you to come down the front and I want to get some of our guys and we're going to pray with you about that person. We're going to petition God to change the soil of that person's heart. The second people who might come down for prayer this morning are people who are stirred and excited to pray for 30, 60, and 100-fold increase in our seed sowing as a church family and as individuals. If you feel excited, stirred, passionate about this, I want you to come down the front. We're going to gather together. We are going to pray. We're going to pray over our church family. We're going to pray over one another. And we're going to see God move to see that increase in our evangelistic activity. And thirdly, there are people who want to be like the sower. You want to scatter handfuls of God's word over whoever you meet. Some of you might be thinking, I just don't know if I'm up to that. I want to pray for you specifically that God anoints you to meet that stirring in your heart this morning. And maybe there's one other group of people. Maybe you don't know Jesus, but what I've said this morning has struck a bit of a chord with you. Why don't you come down the front and let's talk first about how we might go about seeing your eternal destiny changed. I'm going to hand over to the worship team and then I would encourage you, don't muck about, don't hang back. Let's gather down the front and let's pray for one another and see God move this morning. Amen?